Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Suzanne Koget. Suzanne is the executive director of the Petco Foundation. Prior to joining the foundation, she was the Charlottesville Albemarle SPCA executive director, where she transformed the challenged open admission SPCA into an award-winning model organization recognized nationally for its life-saving efforts. Before embarking on her animal welfare career, Suzanne held several positions at Capital One Financial Corporation, and prior to that, she was a corporate finance and securities attorney in the Washington, D.C. offices of Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher, and Brown and Wood. She received her B.A. in finance in 1986 and J.D. in 1990 from the University of Houston. Suzanne shares her home with her seven dogs and various foster pets from time to time. Suzanne, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Suzanne, how did you get started in animal welfare and having an interest in community cats? I probably have a different history than many of the people that are in animal welfare. I I, uh, listen to others and they talk about how they had a lot of pets when they were younger. That pets had always been in their family and that, that actually wasn't really true in my life. We had neighbors that had pets. We had one dog at, at one point in my whole lifetime. But it wasn't like I was surrounded by pets all the time. And then, you know, after after moving out of the home and, and going to, to college and law school, I was really just focused on my career. I was working long hours, as you know, as you mentioned, as a corporate securities and financial transaction a- a- attorney. And so focusing on animals wasn't actually part of my life until that time when I had one pet, one dog, and he passed away. And I started doing research to adopt another another pet. And that is really when I learned about the issues that animals had faced, whether, you know, high euthanasia rates at our shelters and just the sheer number of animals that were looking for homes. And and I ended up adopting two pit bulls. And, and from there, it sort of, I want to say, spiraled upwards instead of downwards. Is that I'm not sure if that's possible, but <laughs> I became a volunteer for the rescue that I adopted. From, I started reading more. I started doing their administrative corporate filings. I started seeking out conferences around the country. And I really just wanted to learn as much as I could because I knew this was something that quickly I was learning. I, I wanted to dedicate my life to bringing change about for all the companion animals that were looking for homes. So I eventually, you know, left Capital One, which was a, a wonderful organization. And I actually think many of the skills that I learned there um, were very helpful in my transition to animal welfare. But I, I will say that I actually, I applied for a lot of jobs in animal welfare and, and was turned down multiple times um, just because organizations felt I didn't have the experience in the animal welfare world to actually be, I I was applying for executive director jobs, but thankfully the board of the Charlottesville Albemarle SPCA um, hired me. And, you know, I can remember even on the interview for that position, the topic of feral cats, what came up and and at the time, and that was 2000, 
2005. Even within the board of that group, the, the topic of feral cats was very controversial. And, and I remember my response to sort of the debate in the room at that time was just, just letting everyone know that everyone wants, everyone really wants the same thing and to do right by the cats. There's just a disagreement often about how we get there, but that I thought we could all work together um, to get there and to do the right thing for community cats. You know, I have to say, I'm proud to say that, that we did. I mean, we developed so many programs during my time in Charlottesville, which when I first started there, no one actually anticipated the change that we could bring about. And it was an organization at the time I started that was euthanizing 53% of the, the cats. And some of those were were feral community cats. Um, but we developed a lot of programs. We partnered with a one of the local community cat groups there, Voices for Animals, and we started monthly spay-neuter clinics. We also eventually offered free spay-neuter for any community cat during the week, every day of the week. We offered support to those that were caring for cats. We established a barn cat room. We adopted out the community cats. We even we even got to the point where we were going into some of the trailer park communities that where we had a higher intake of cats coming into our organization. And we went door to door and actually offering to spay and neuter all the animals, dogs, cats, community cats. Uh, and, and finally, just getting involved on a legislative level to, to bring change. So have to say I'm really proud of Charlottesville, Albemarle, and the, and the community there because they're celebrating 10 years as a, a life-saving community, which in, our, in my mind means a 90% save rate or better community-wide save rate. And I think they're up to 95%. But I think it really has to do with implementing so many different programs over the years to help community cats and to make sure that they could have a good life. And, and that, that may be as a barn cat, that may be where they currently are living, but just to make sure they're spayed and neutered and reducing that cat population. So I feel so fortunate to have gotten involved in, in the Charlottesville community. And I think it's, it's really the work that we did there that helped me change and, and have this opportunity at the Petco Foundation. So when you first came in as the executive director, what models did you look toward in order to sort of create a new vision for the organization? Yeah, it was a bit of a crazy time when I, I first came in to the organization because that was in 2005. We were still euthanizing, had financial issues, had a, a few disagreements among volunteers and staff. But I really just tried to reach out and look at what other what others were doing in various communities across the country, but it was pretty limited as far as those who were saving that, that were really performing at a very high save rate. So I listened to a number of conference tapes, whether it was the ASPCA or really Best Friends, a lot of conference tapes from Best Friends Animal Society. And I heard people like Mark, Mike Arms and Robin Starr and Rich Avanzino and Nathan Winograd and some of the change that they were suggesting, some of the successes that they had in their community and really trying to implement those same programs in the Charlottesville Albemarle community. I, I have to, to give credit where credit's due and, and Nathan Winograd was especially helpful in, in sharing information and, and being a sounding board during the difficult time, the, 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 I'd say the difficult early years in Charlottesville um, based on his work at San Fran the San Francisco SPCA and the Tompkins County SPCA. 
That's that's great. I think it is important that if you want want to make change to try and do some research and and look outside and beyond to see what might work for your organization. And it might not be the same for every community. It might be a different batch of programs, but there are definitely some bedrock programs that you have to have, like high volume spay neuter that's affordable and high quality. But there's also bits and pieces that you can add on later maybe and take it one step at a time, depending on what sort of local battles you have to fight for change. And the resources that you have. I mean, we didn't do everything at once. It was year after year, year after year. We kept adding on new things. And I think your point is absolutely right on. Every community is different and you need to look at what you have in your community and develop solutions that work in your community. Looking for a great tool to help educate your neighbors about community cats? Check out this sign available from the folks at Lumen LS, a life-saving organization from Broward County, Florida, that believes no cat should be left behind. This sturdy, bright orange sign featuring an ear-tipped cat would be great for cat colony caretakers, shelters and rescues, spay-neuter clinics, or municipalities and animal control organizations. Education about the correct ways to manage community cats is exploding in the U.S., especially in the last five years. This sign will help you let your community know that ear-tipped cats have been fixed and vaccinated and pose no threat to them. The community cat sign comes complete with all of the hardware you need to post it, Buying and posting the sign will help move animal welfare forward and improve outcomes for cats in your area. You can view and purchase the signs directly from our Facebook page at Lumen LS. They also have a colorful informational brochure about community cats plus lots of other resources. Support the Community Cats podcast and LumenLS.org by going to LumenLS on Facebook today. And so now you are with the uh, Petco Foundation. You're their executive director. Can you tell me a little bit about the foundation and their various programs? At the foundation, we do two primary things. We invest in community organizations, local organizations that are on the ground floor supporting their community and addressing the issues in their community. And we also partner with animal welfare organizations throughout the country to do adoptions in over 1,500 Petco stores throughout the country. So with respect to cats, about 95% of our stores will actually have cat habitats where we can house cats and support the organizations until those cats are adopted. So it sort of expands and brings out available cats right directly into the communities around the country to, you know, just sort of expand the opportunities beyond just the animal welfare facility. What we do and, and have been doing since 1999 is raising funds so we can make sure we get those funds to the animal welfare organizations on the ground doing the work. And the areas of giving that you focus in are spay-neuter, adoptions, and shelters. And you have two other interesting programs called Helping Heroes, and there's another one that deals with uh, pets with cancer. Yes. So I should say the Petco Foundation's primary mission is investing in community animal welfare organizations and building relationships with the best of these organizations so that we can assist them and helping to make the most significant life-saving impact possible. And what that means is we really believe that we can end the euthanasia of healthy and treatable animals throughout the country. Um, and that is basically our primary focus through what we do in investing in animal welfare organizations and in spay-neuter organizations. The interesting thing for us is we invest in organizations first instead of programs first. So for example, 
we look for those organizations that are being the most productive and effective and are making the most significant impact with the resources that they have. And we look to them to tell us what is needed in their community. Because if they are very successful in addressing the issues in their community, different things will be needed at different times. So we want to make sure we allow them to define what's needed, and then we will support their efforts. So it could be with regard to community cats, they may need you know, support for TNR, free subsidized spay-neuter of all cats. They may need support for cat adoption efforts or foster care for cats and kittens. I think the sort of list really just depends on how innovative they are and what their problem-solving skills are like. So that always will be our primary focus. We also do invest and help organizations that are providing service therapy um, or even some organizations that are working with working dogs. We invest in one organization that's focus is bringing military working dogs back into the United States after they've retired from service and finding them, either reuniting them with their handler, um, maybe a handler that was overseas with them years ago, or actually adopting them into new homes. We really like to work with those service and therapy organizations that are not only creating new service and, and therapy pets to help people, but actually those organizations that are taking animals from shelters and then transforming those pets into service and therapy animals. Search Dog Foundation in California is one of our favorites. They, they only take animals from shelters and then they train them to be search and rescue dogs. That's great. That's, those are really interesting models. And it, it amazes me. One of the things about being able to do this show is talking to so many different people and they just have so many different unique and interesting ideas and programs and little and niche parts there. You know, not, it's not every organization still, it's just not the same. And they have their, their focus and their specialties as a grantor with great responsibility for supporting organizations. I mean, how do you actually evaluate those applications? We start our evaluation with asking for some basic data for all those organizations that are requesting funding from us. And, and mainly because we have thousands of organizations requesting funding from us. And so with respect to animal welfare, we've tried to create some simple data that enables us to determine what organizations are doing the most with their resources. And so that means that when we invest in those organizations, we are going to to receive what we call a higher life-saving rate of return with our investment. Ideally, we also have built relationships with a number of organizations throughout the country, and they, they um, are the organizations that we think are really making a significant impact. They're seeking to raise the bar for all organizations throughout the country. And what we've found is a lot of times these are um, maybe startup organizations or newer organizations that haven't been around year after year or have new leadership that really is just coming in and bringing about change. So we'll we'll often try to, to help them execute and, and meet their goals of creating life-saving communities and actually to really lift up their status in the community. We want to tell people in their own community that because of our 
the way we in, in the way we invest and the way we evaluate organizations will often sort of promote the work of certain organizations. So they're the people in their own community will invest in them also because we want we want to leverage our investment to help them do more and to actually invest more or get more investment in their own community. So it sounds like you're developing relationships with these organizations. And it's why you'll hear me talk about the word investment and not grant, because grant to us seems transactional. We are investing in the life-saving efforts of organizations around the country that are trying to bring change to their community. And it really is a long-term relationship. It's why we remain flexible in what what our investments, what the purpose of our investments are for. Someone could apply for money for a certain program, and over time, the need may not be there. If they want to come to us and say, can we use it for something else? Or if they just want to use it for something else, we're going to allow them to do that. Because if they're doing great work and they have great leadership, the leaders in those communities will really know what they need to do to accomplish their goals. So since heading up the Petco Foundation, are there any specific lessons that you've learned or anything new that you'd like to share that you've learned in this position? You know, I think I've learned that there's there's just so many people out there across the nation, across the country that really, really care about animals and, and they're willing to spend their time and their resources in helping animals. What I do think is and I think this is changing in animal welfare, is we need to recognize all the positive that exists and we need to move forward from the positive that exists in helping animals. So I will give you an example of of what I'm talking about. I think for a long time in animal welfare, we have focused on the, we have animals in our, in our facilities that are abused or neglected or and abandoned. And that that, that actually is marketing to the person who already is willing to help. But what we want to make sure is we get everyone to think about pet adoptions. And a lot of families are just seeking a pet, not a project. And the truth of the matter is most animals in shelters are absolute great. I have seven of them in my home. I know that. So I can speak from, <laughs> from experience. And we want to tell, you know, that's what I think we need to be telling the community around us is these are wonderful pets. And I think that just if they know that and they come in and the more people that adopt and the more people that tell everyone about that wonderful pet, we can expand the universe of people that are likely to adopt. And and that's one of the things that we really try to do at the Petco Foundation. We always focus on the positive of the animals and of the organizations that are trying to help. So if you are a listener who may not be affiliated with an organization, are there ways that they could help support the Petco Foundation? Oh, we I think there's ways that they can support the Petco Foundation and ways that they can support the local communities. And I'll be honest, you know, we we try to make it easy for people. If you're shopping in a Petco store um, at the end of that shopping experience, add a couple of dollars on to donate to the Petco Foundation, and we will make sure that those dollars get invested in organizations that are making incredible impact. And so that's actually, you know, one of the easiest ways if you're, if you're just, you know, make it part of your normal shopping experience. We also, we also 
do things like we have a wonderful um, pet calendar that we promote and sell in our Petco stores during the holidays. We have things like photos with Santa and, but, and all those proceeds go to help animal welfare organizations. But we always, honestly, we encourage people not only to, to donate to us or adopt from a Petco store, but if that's not what you want to do, just help your local community organizations. They need your help and, and you're part of that community. And just find out more about those organizations and, and support your local groups too. Suzanne, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I think in this country, we are very, very close to achieving the day when no healthy and treatable animal will ever be euthanized. And it's really not about one organization. It's really about communities coming together to do that. So, you know, really just get involved. I think right now, especially with community cats, I think it's it's very interesting to me that so many people, about 25% of people that obtain cats, obtain them because they found them as a stray. Another 30% are, are getting them from friends or, or relatives. And I venture to guess that that's also because many of them were strays. So even just helping the animals in your community, even if it's not helping a local group, if you find a stray, help get that cat medical care, find them homes, really just take owner, taking ownership of what's going on with animals in your community. You can do so much, donate, volunteer, foster, and just help animals. If you find a dog or a cat, call your neighbors. Is it there? Instead of always relying on the local organization, we as members of our community always need to be involved in our community. And that's how we will achieve communities that save all the animals. I couldn't have said that better. That's that's great. And I, I love the fact that you're just so optimistic Looking forward, I too believe that we have a great future ahead for our community cats. I think that life is just getting better and better for them. For folks that are interested in finding out more about the Petco Foundation, how would they do that? Just go to our Facebook page. We share a lot about what we're doing on a daily basis on our Facebook page. Or just go to PetcoFoundation.org. If you're an organization, you can learn about how you can apply for a grant investment from the Petco Foundation. And if you're, if you're an adopter or just a member of the, the community that you want to know more about us, I will say that we are relaunching a new website very soon and we'll have really great information about the work that we've done and actually organizations in your community that are doing great work too. Wow. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Suzanne, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on the show and I hope we'll have you on in the future. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 